The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah soft made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Have you ever heard of this service called Instacart? If you haven't, have you been hiding under a rock? I don't know about you, but I freaking hate going to the grocery store. Did I just say a cuss word? No, freaking is not a cuss word. I hate to go to the grocery store and have the chance that I might run into Karen or Brenda or any of the people I don't want to see. Instead, I get my delivery through something called Instacart. And if you don't know what it is, it's amazing. You can order whatever groceries you need, anything. They bring it to your house. They ring your ring video doorbell if you have one like I do. You can look in the door and see who it is. Know that it's the Instacart person. And if you go to my website or judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you can get free delivery on any order over $35 for first time users. So get on there, go use it. You don't want to run into Brenda in the grocery store. You don't want to run into Karen at Trader Joe's. Just do it. I need to talk to you about something. I know that I've talked to you before about my puppy that I think is so cute and obsessed with. Her name is RBG, a.k.a. Ruthie. She she is she's the worst dog I've ever had in my entire life. And let me tell you why. My husband, Ron, and I and our family, we now call her Jurassic Park. She reminds me of one of those velociraptors that like can open doors She's crazy. I've never experienced a dog like this in my entire life. Like, I remember seeing that movie Marley and Me about the Labrador, the yellow Labrador that was so cute. I'm like, there is no way that a dog could ever be that bad. Well, um, my dog is worse than the dog in the movie. So let me just give you a couple examples. Um, She can open doors. And it's not like quiet. It's like she scratches and then opens the door, stands up on her hind legs. She breaks glasses. Um, She was just spayed. So now she's gone backwards and started like peeing on our rugs again. I bought a brand new rug. She peed on the rug the very day that I got it. She jumps on the counter and can and knocks over glasses. So she breaks glasses all the time. She eats everything. Um, This is actually kind of scary. So over the weekend, I'm a professional soccer mom 
And so it just sucks up my whole weekend. I never in my entire life thought I would be like, oh, I'm a soccer mom. I am a soccer mom. So I go to games on Saturday and Sunday. And I was gone for an hour and 15 minutes because the soccer field's right up the street from my house. Christina, my guest, I'm going to bring you in on this because I I believe you're a dog owner. Am I right? Uh, Yeah, I am. Is your dog well behaved? He is now, but all the things that you're telling, all the things that you're saying sound like my first few days, first few okay, weeks. What, what kind of dog do you have? I have a mini golden doodle and he was insane oh when my we God. first got him. Those are so cute. Okay. So let me just tell you what happened. So about a week. So she's, she got spayed three weeks ago. I'm going to tell you two quick stories. So I... As everyone knows that listens to my podcast, um, I am always on some sort of diet. So I'm on this diet right now. It's called Octavia. And actually, it's a really I like it. I've lost some of my covid weight. But one night I was pissed and I was angry. And my husband had a client give him the you know, those those bottles, Christina, that are like the liquor bottles and they're like teeny tiny chocolate with like tinfoil over them. And they have like drambuie in them (laughs) or vodka. So one night I was like, F this diet. And I took out the chocolates that like nobody eats and I opened them and I ate five. And then I left the the box on our table in our living room. The next morning I wake up and the entire, there was like Um, plastic pieces all over the living room. And I was like, what is that? And then I realized that my dog ate the entire box of dark chocolate (laughs) liqueur, which is deadly. Like you can die of that and all of the tinfoil. So that's number one. So then she started having like, like bad, bad issues with pooping. I'll say that I'm trying not to be too gross. Then it gets worse. So she does that. She was sick for like two days, still peeing and, and eating everything, shoes, whatever. Then on Sunday after that soccer game, I come home. There's a shredded bottle on my bed alongside a brand new bag of coffee beans that I had just bought. And she had taken the coffee and s- spread the beans all over my bedroom. <laughs> and I look a little closer and she had eaten a bottle of Advil, like she hadn't opened the top, but she ate the bottom. So I didn't know how many she took. Long story short, she's okay. But I thought my dog was going to die. She is crazy. She is the craziest, wildest dog I've ever had in my life. Um, I still love her, but she is now called Jurassic Park. So if anybody can give me any tips I'm training a Labrador because I did not have this issue with my five-year-old lab. She was like a little slice of heaven. But I just believe that um, the worst behaved dog that has ever roamed the planet is living in my house and trapping me every single day and (laughs) making me nuts. But I love her. So I'm going to start the show. So hi, everybody. This is Megan Judge, and you're listening to Judging Megan. I am so lucky to have my guest on today. Um, My guest is Christina Wolf. Believe it or not, I know a lot of you that have listened to my show and my listeners. I do bring on a lot of people that I know their families or I grew up with them or, um, you know, I just I like to bring on people that I know or friends of friends a lot of times with interesting stories. And Christina is the daughter of um, my, my mom and dad's very, very good friends. And uh Christina Wolf, welcome to my show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. Um, I I wanted to start by saying uh, Christina does not have an impressive resume at all. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her right now, and it kind of makes me feel bad about myself, but <laughs> Christina is um, in film. She's been a camera operator for many, many years, worked on Buzz News, Netflix, Vice, MTV, done tons of commercials and documentaries. Um, She actually um, had a movie in the 2020 Sundance Festival called Lost Girls and was a camera loader, which Christina just had to explain to me what that meant. Do you want to tell my listeners what that is? Because I was a little confused. 
Oh, yeah. So a camera loader, you're part of the camera department. You're a camera assistant. Um, and in the digital world, which basically everybody shoots to uh, media cards now. So it, it's basically the same as using film back in the day. But now it, all the everything that you shoot goes to cards. And you take those cards and you ingest them into a computer. And then you send it off to the, the edit team. Um, okay. So you're basically handling the film. Okay. I love that. I always like hearing about, I mean, just because I know so many people in the film industry and my husband's been an actor for half his life. It's always interesting to me how the business is evolving and just everything's digital now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then also you have a short film that you are raising funds for called bridge. And we're going to kind of talk about that more at the end of the show, because I want to go into why the, you're specifically, you, you decided to do this film. So thank you so much for um, coming on. And I can't wait to talk to you. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, Before I start, I want to make you laugh a little bit. My, um, so I talk a lot about my mom sometimes on this show. And for some reason, whenever I talk about her, her voice sounds like Carol Baskins. She doesn't really sound like this, but this is how (laughs) I, this is how I do my mom in my head. So yesterday I called my mom and I said, mom, Guess who who I'm interviewing tomorrow? I'm I'm interviewing Charlie and Ginger Wolf's daughter, Christina. And my mom goes, oh, my God, Christina, she's the youngest. And I was like, yes. And she's like, oh, God, do I have stories about Charlie that I could tell you? And <laughs> so my mom proceeded to tell me this story about your dad. And I was dying laughing because. Um, I, I know your, I remember your parents as a little girl because, um, our parents were friends and my best friend, Julie's dad was best friends with, um, your dad. The the two sets of twins were buddies growing up. So, um, so anyways, my mom tells me this story and she's like, well, yeah, Charlie and his brother, they were twins. And Charlie was always the one that was up to something. So one day, (laughs) um, your daddy said, "Um, I can't wait for you to meet the twins. They're a hoot. And so she she goes, well, who are these twins? And and my dad said, oh, Charlie Wolf. And and his brother is F, right? It was the is that how you yeah. okay yeah and mm-hmm. um and my my mom goes oh god i don't want to meet charlie he's the one that always looks up the girl's skirts when we sing at the concerts because <laughs> my mom was in like a in like a singing group at dunbarton and that's where your mom went as well i don't know if you know that they, oh my god yeah. yeah they both went to, i didn't know that yeah so um i just thought that was so funny and then she told me like she just told me like really funny stories about your dad. And um, it just reminds me of my own dad because my dad was a total ham and would just pull pranks all the time. So um, it was it was pretty funny to hear my mom tell those stories. And and also before we go into this, so our part of the reason you're on is to talk about your mom and um you know, she was, she dealt with, you dealt with losing your mom to breast cancer. And we're going to kind of go into that and Mm -hmm. the whole, um, the whole, the whole journey through dealing with that. But my mom says that your mom was the most beautiful, kind woman that she's ever met. My mom got teary eyed and upset yesterday. And she said, she just was the kindest lady and she had the biggest smile and She's like, she was just, she was absolutely beautiful. And um, I just loved her. I will never forget her. So I love hearing that because it's, she left such an impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look just like her, by the way, which I'm sure you've heard. Well, thank you. That's a compliment. I appreciate that. So I will stop with my like long winded stories this morning, but I just, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. And, um, I think that we have similar paths that we've traveled dealing with, uh, being, you know, having parents that died of cancer, although different stages in our life. So I'm going to go into that. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Washington, D.C.? Oh, God. Uh, It was lovely. You know, looking back, we were we were super lucky. Um, 
I grew up in sort of the Potomac area, which was close to you guys. Shout out Potomac. (laughs) It was really (laughs) idyllic. Yeah, we were, was we, really were we were pretty lucky, right? I look back on it and I'm like, so lucky. it's such a beautiful area. We, so you grew up out in Potomac? Where in Potomac? I did, Where yeah. in Potomac did you guys So, live? right near the Potomac Village. Oh, uh, okay. And sort of near Avenel. Yes, so, yeah, gorgeous right? area. Gorgeous area. Yeah. Okay, so you, you grew up in Potomac. Where did you go to grade school? I went to St. Bart's. For kindergarten through eighth grade. That's where Julie Um, went. Yeah, Julie was two years older than me. Okay. And I remember when she was heading off to visitation, she was just like, you're going to be my little sister. Because they did this big sister, little sister thing at visitation. I was like, okay. So by the time I got to visitation, she was like, you're totally my little sister. So it's when the juniors pair up with the freshmen. And, you know, they kind of make them do kind of silly little things. And she just was so sweet and so kind. And, you know, she was, you always look up to the older classmen. So it was one of those things that, you know, you see her walking on the path, changing classes. And she was always like, hi, how are you doing? So, yeah. Yeah. Julie and her big giant smile. By the time you were in visitation, I had already left because I'd been kicked out and sent to boarding school. So that's why we don't know each other. Oh, yeah. I didn't know yes. that. So you started off. I went to visitation um, my freshman and sophomore year, and I was a little, okay. I know this is shocking. I was a little bit of a problem child. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I loved visitation and um, I just, you know, I, I know I the whole going in your freshman year and having a big sister and how great it must have been to have Julie. So for the listeners that might be listening for the first yeah. time, Julie was my very best friend that I lost, um, passed away um, and is my angel. She's always with me. So growing up, um, you went to visitation. You had a mm-hmm. happy childhood. How many how many kids are there in your family? So I'm the youngest of four. Okay. Um, my older siblings, they're all kind of, I don't know, around six or seven years older than me. Okay. Um, and, and then sort and of the oldest the surprise is at the, the end. oldest um, ginger. Or is it all yeah. girls? It's uh, no, there's ginger. Then I have a brother, CJ, and then Tara between okay. CJ and I. I know, I know CJ and ginger. And I, and I, okay. so I, I must, I mean, seeing your face though, I've, I know I've met you all throughout my life. Okay. So once, so then what happens? So then you grow up, you have a great childhood. We, we were lucky to grow up where we grew up. Then you ended up deciding that you wanted to go to New York to film school. Is that what happened? Yeah, I went to, yeah, freshman, oh yeah, uh, left visitation and went to Fordham, which was in the Bronx. And going to New York as an 18-year-old was kind of like Candyland. Um, it was amazing. And, you know, the whole hope was was to just study media, um, not really knowing what direction really to take. But then upon graduating, I ended up in film production kind of by default. And, um, yeah, I stayed here for a little bit. Then I went to the West Coast for a couple years to San Francisco, came back to New York, and then ended up doing film school in London for two years. Um, You lived out my dream. I'm so jealous. (laughs) I wanted so badly to go to school in New York and, um, and go to Tisch. And I wanted so badly to go to, you know, live in London and do an act in London. So that sounds amazing. Um, yeah, it was fun. Were you so, so to talk about kind of the stuff that's hard to talk about when you were in high school, you said your mom was diagnosed with cancer. Is that correct? At 15? Yeah, she was, she was quite young herself. She was probably 45. I was, yeah, I was in my sophomore year, you know, really eager to get my driver's license. And she had found a lump, I would say like a year before she went to go get it checked out. And yeah, it came as sort of a big surprise. And especially at that point in time, um, with treatments and everything, you know, if you found a lump then, it almost was like, it was terrifying. 
you know, there, there wasn't the, the treatments that they have today, all the remedies that they have today. There was no immunotherapy. So it was scary at that point in time that, that she actually found it. Um, and yeah, she, they ended up having to do, they ended up going in to do a lumpectomy. And when they got into the surgery, they realized that it spread more than they had anticipated. So they came out in the middle of the surgery and asked my dad was like, listen, we need to do a more radical surgery. Can we get your permission to do a mastectomy? And so he just kind of said yes on the spot. You know, he didn't know what to do. You know, that was the best decision he made. And so it was sort of a eye opener, you know, when my mom came out of surgery, <laughs> trying to explain all that to somebody well, sort of. Also, that's so young. My dad had been diagnosed with leukemia at 45. So same ages to be diagnosed yeah. with uh, cancer. And that just must have been, I mean, you were a little bit older than I was, but just the word cancer when you're a kid, it's terrifying, right? Yeah, 100 percent. Um, yeah, I don't want to say it was a death sentence, but, you know, you just feared the worst, you know, especially when somebody does find it. Um, so, yeah, so that was sort of that was, you know, you all of a sudden grew up um, and she went through six months of treatment. Uh, chemo was, you know, pretty rough because back in those days they didn't have like any anti-nausea medicine. And so she just, she was really sick, you know, and she was diagnosed probably in the fall of my sophomore year. So I was 15 and turning 16. And, you know, I was a teenager myself, not really knowing how to handle such, you know, adult things um, while dealing with a sick parent at home. What, what was that like, being, I mean, I, cause I can relate. So in so much seeing a parent, was your mom in the hospital or was she outpatient? Like she would have treatment and then go home. Yeah. She, she obviously was in the hospital for her surgery. And, you know, when she recovered from that, they brought her home. So she was outpatient for her. Okay. For so her she could do chemo and radiation. I assume all of that, she would just go into the hospital and then go home and just be sick right? And you had, and you had to witness that that's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing for a kid to experience. I remember, um, dealing with it with my own dad, but he was in the hospital pretty much the whole time, but just having to see the breakdown of people that we love so much, you know, physically not be, who we're used to them being is something that's very, very hard for a preteen like I was or a young teenager to process. Right. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, you kind of encapsulated perfectly. They were these pillars of strength and to sort of see them sort of unravel before your eyes was, was shocking. Um, and I think at some point I've just stuffed it away. <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with it at, you know, some point in life, but yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, and my siblings, you know, they either were graduated college or some were still in college. So it was really just my dad and I that were home, um, sort of being the caretakers, you know, on the off weeks when she was sort of recovering from the infusion. And that must've been so hard for your dad. To, to yeah. see, to deal with that and see, I know that they were so happy. Um, I remember, I can just like, it's weird that sometimes you can really remember s- certain people in life, like from growing up and your parents are specifically one of the people, couples that were my f- parents' friends that I always will remember because your dad was always smiling and so was your mom. They were just funny. Um, yeah. So... So then you, she was in treatment and then did she go into, um, did she ever go into remission? She did. She actually went into remission within that year. Um, so she had long stretches of really good health. Um, I think the next kind of was the next sort of bumpy stretch. I would sort of phrase it as was 
around the 10 year mark. She had another occurrence on the other breast of another lump, totally non-related. But, you know, I was living out in San Francisco at the time and she was really cavalier about it. She was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go get a procedure tomorrow. So she went in and got a lumpectomy um, and was really kind of downplayed it, you know, and I think in a way it was sort of to protect us to not have us jump on a plane, race back, be by her side because she knew we would do that. Um, My brother was also living in San Francisco at the time. And, you know, once she hit that 10 year mark, then we had like another probably 10 years of good health. And then the first occurrence of her breast cancer started to spread to her bones. And she ended up back in the hospital with an infection and sort of on life support. And that was when we all sort of kind of came back. I was living in London at the time. Um, My brother flew in from California. We know we... We really didn't think things were going to go well. She was septic and yeah, it was touch and go there for several days. Um, And somehow she buoyed back from that. She was was a fighter, right? She She totally was a fighter. And, you know, my dad was a fighter with her. You know, they both were very positive. You know, I think her defense was the disease is not going to get me. And, you know, she just kind of maintained that mantra and she just forged ahead as best she could. Um, What kind of breast cancer was it? um, It was, it's terrible to say, but it's, they said it's the one you want. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. It was. Okay. Because that, because. It's the one that, I should know this because I actually had breast cancer. Yeah, which we can talk about too. Yeah. Um, I had the same one as her. Okay. Uh, which one? You, you probably the, block this stuff out. Like people ask me to, well, because <laughs> same thing. My dad had leukemia. There's all different kinds of leukemia. And my dad yeah. had the one that you don't want. So it's, I, but okay. if you ask me the name, I'm like, uh, I don't remember because I think to protect ourselves, we forget that kind of stuff. I, I, that's what I believe at least, because I don't want to think about it. You know, I don't want to go back there. Um, but so, okay. So then she ended up being in a place where she was healthy and that lasted about a decade. And then she got, had it reoccur, it was reoccurring again. And then it's had spread to her bones. Correct. Yeah. And it spread to her bones and, you know, it was kind of like a perfect storm waiting to happen. You know, she had Lyme disease. She was having, you know, the cancer sort of radiate to her bones, which was like termites to a house. They were just kind of sort of eating away. You know, she had a fall where she broke her collarbone. She broke her pelvis. She's things were not great. Um, but she somehow pulled through that, you know, the infection they were able to locate it. It was somewhere in her lung. She had surgery for that. And then, you know, she went on to live another decade. She produced one of her best films. Um, and we got 10 more years with her. Talk, you know, talk she about got to that. See- talk about that. Because I know she was a huge philanthropist, my mom said. So what exactly? So you you followed in your mom's footsteps, which I love. Yeah. And I was really fortunate because her last film, it was called A Bridge Apart. It was about... Um, from the migrants perspective from central and South America reasons why they, you know, leave their home, the the push and pull of why they leave their homes and come to the, you know, the United States or why they try to attempt to cross and make such a dangerous um, journey. And she told it from the migrants perspective. So we got to travel to Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, um, El Salvador, you know, around the border in Arizona. And I was her camera assistant on that shoot. And, you know, she shot it over the course of five years, you know, and the film was great. It talks about, you know, everything that you see in the news today. Um, how long ago and I was, was really fortunate. How long ago was that? We started shooting probably in 2000 and three or four isn't it crazy that this is still happening don't get me started yeah don't get me started. I know it's it's yeah but it is it is such a I would love to see that because um 
just living in California, it's such a hard thing for people to understand the other side of it. These people are not coming here because they want to like cross waters and suffer and put their babies in boats. You know, they they don't have any choice. They're they're trying. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the they're re- leaving. Yeah. yeah, they're leaving completely desperate situations, you know, and if we were in their shoes, we would do it too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, such an amazing thing that your mom did. Um, my, I love that she was a philanthropist because I think that sometimes I believe that um, people are not of this world. And I, I think I've said this before on the show and just God needs them a little bit sooner to help him upstairs. I think that about my dad, <laughs> you know, I think that about Julie. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I think that's so amazing. And I love that you then went into the same industry. I think that's so great. She must've been very proud of you. I think she was, and she was, I never had a mentor, you know, professionally, you know, somebody that I worked with in New York, but I always, I'd look to her, you know, very much for advice with jobs and how to handle certain situations. And she was always really good about that. You know, she she wasn't a mom in those situations. You know, she gave it her professional two cents. And that was super helpful to have, you know, as I was sort of getting into the industry or, you know, making changes within certain positions, you know, it called mom. You know, she'll, yeah. she'll help me out. So. so then, so that was about 2003. And then how shortly after did she get to the point where she, that was the end for her? What year did you lose her? So we had, maybe I'm mixing up some of the timeline. Okay. She, she passed away three years ago. Okay. So 2018, so 2017, um, she woke up one day and she said she was seeing double. Okay. And she, I mean, obviously she knew something was immediately wrong. Um, and so she went to the eye doctor, they checked it out, they couldn't figure it out. Then she, you know, obviously checked in with her oncologist. So after a series of tests, they realized that the cancer had started to spread to her brain. And um, yeah, it was never said, but you know, my siblings and I, we were all adults at this point, and we knew we were on um, bot time. She went through radiation, so she tried to, you know, curb the effects of it. And, yeah, so she was diagnosed right – they discovered it was in the brain right around Thanksgiving. She did treatment around then. So we got through the holidays, and then she passed away in March 2018. I'm so sorry. I mean, that's still fairly recent. So her total span of fighting this disease and getting better and then it coming back again, it sounds like that was over what, like a 20 year period? Yeah, it's 25 years. 25. Incredible. That's unbelievable. (laughs) You know, talk about a fighter. That is is a fighter that's like determined to not let this take her down. That's incredible she she was incredibly determined and you know she would even say things like it's so hard to rely on help from others like she just was really proud to not have to lean into people um so yeah you know towards the end it was really just my sisters and I and my my brother that and my dad um who really just kind of took care of her you know we just kind of kept it you know very tight you know, because of that. Did she, I, and I know this is probably difficult because three years is pretty recent. I mean, I still, if it makes you feel better, I still like, uh, I did, I recorded on another person's podcast as a guest yesterday and I literally started crying and I could not stop crying the whole show because sometimes it's weird. Um, like I brought up a story yesterday about, and I hadn't thought about it in so long. So I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes memories just like flash into my mind. And my dad had this, like a cedar closet. So after he passed away, I remember going into his closet and, and just like, like grabbing all his shirts and smelling them. And, um, 
And so I just, I know even all these years later, it's still a struggle for me to talk about it and think about it. So for you, that's still fairly fresh. And I don't think it matters if your parent that you love battled cancer for one year, six months or 25 years, it's still your parent and it's still awful. Yeah. Um, so what, why don't you talk a little bit about were at that point, had you had your own diagnosis? Cause I know that you had told me that you're also a cancer survivor and, and you had the same kind of cancer, but all of the science, I'm assuming you caught things earlier. Um, yeah. are you, were you a BRCA gene carrier? No, we were not a BRCA gene carrier. Okay. Um, and the way it goes with the BRCA gene, if one person in your circle, uh, test negative, by and large, the rest of your circle is negative. So my sister, uh, Tara, um, she tested, she was the first to test for the BRCA gene. She was negative. Then my mom tested negative. And then right after I was diagnosed, they sent me through, you know, a whole gene testing and I came back negative. Um, but yes, my mom and I definitely had the same, you know, it was a, it was the cancer that basically feeds off uh, estrogen. So estrogen positive cancer, that's what it is. And they said, that's the one, if you're going to get it, that's the one you want, because that's the one that's most treatable. And I was diagnosed uh, now five years out. Uh, Congratulations. In late did you, you ring your bell? You. Did you ring the bell? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to ring a bell. Yeah. I just went out shopping. Okay. Well, that, that's what I would do too. But for, if you hit the five-year mark, I I've, I've, just from friends that I know that have been survived breast cancer, when you hit the five-year mark, I think you ring a bell at the hospital. Oh, I, I never knew you that. You need to go oh, wherever to... you were treated and just find a bell and just ring it. That's what I would do. <laughs> I will. Um, okay. So you, so that's amazing. So you're five years out, continued, yeah, five continued years prayers. Um, but Thank what you. did you have to go through, um, chemo radiation? What was your journey like with that? And also you were diagnosed at, obviously at the very end of your mom's life. So what was that like? Yeah. So my mom, right before she so I was diagnosed in 2014. She was in a period of okay health then. She was she was pretty good. I mean, she was frail, but she was she was she was doing okay. And she came up on the bus every time I had a chemo treatment. So I did six months. I had a mastectomy, and then followed by six months of chemo. And the doctors were funny. They were like, "No, you're getting chemo light. You're not going to lose your hair. Your nails are going to grow a little bit slower." So I kind of maintained appearances, which was great because, you know, one thing that I learned from my mom was be low profile, you know, people don't want to hire somebody who's sick. So I I really kind of just followed in her footsteps with the way I handled it. I didn't tell anybody that I was working with that I was sick or going through that. I just tried to kind of keep it under wraps as best I could. I mean, friends and family knew, but I don't know how you would even do that. That's so hard to to not I don't understand how people can even do that if you're physically sick what would you do would you take the day off or what how did you deal with that yeah I mean because I'm freelance it it was sort of easy at that point in time just to kind of fall in and just not take jobs you know the weeks that I was in treatment Um, And treatment is kind of like I would have it on a Thursday and it's like getting a really bad hangover that lasts till Sunday. And once Sunday night would roll around, I would start to kind of perk up a little bit and start to feel better. And my mom would come up on a Thursday afternoon, sit with me through the infusion and we'd watch terrible TV. And then we would sleep all weekend in my tiny little apartment in New York. And at some point she would get me to go shopping with her. She was like, because... When you have cancer, you always have to treat yourself, whether you have bad news or good news or a doctor's appointment, always treat yourself. So we were in TJ Maxx and anthropology a lot. I love that. I love that you guys would go to TJ Maxx. That's pretty funny. Yeah, (laughs) that was her specialty. I love I love um, I love shopping, too. It's my 
it's not, it's my weakness, I would say, because I just love clothes and I love to shop and I let it always, it always <laughs> has been something that like heals me in a weird way too. Um, yeah. So it sounds, it sounds like you guys were just like closer than to a mother and a daughter could be. Yeah. And, you know, I think I started to get, I started to get a bit clingy to her more towards the end of my treatment because it's sort of anticlimactic. Like once you get the diagnosis, then you go full throttle into doctor's appointments, scans, you're leading up to surgery and then there's a recovery and then you're heading into treatment. And towards the end of treatment, things start to peter out a little bit and you're kind of just like, whoa, life just moved very fast. My emotions and my, you know, my whole psyche hasn't caught up with all that. And I just remember towards the end of treatment, I was taking, you know, a lot of weekend trips to DC to be with mom, just to sit in the garden and just chat with her. And she was once again, you know, the mentor that I had in work, you know, she was like talking to a friend who also went through the same thing. Um, So I really leaned into that. And, you know, that was super helpful going through the transition from treatment back to normal life, so to speak. When, when you actually got, went into remission. So what, how, what was the time period of your battle with cancer? So it really was the year of 2015. Okay. Um, Cause I was diagnosed in 2000, end of 2014, but it wasn't until 2015, everything started to kick into high gear. And then, yeah, it was 2015, end of two, like August, 2015 is when I finished chemo. I was put on tamoxifen, which is like a 10-year drug that they put you on, which is like a really good preventative for future breast cancer occurrences. And yeah, it started to kind of, you know, level out past August 2015. And then then obviously it was like a little bit of peace. It sounds like throughout your life you've had, you know, really tumultuous times where you're, you're on high alert with dealing with your mom, yeah. then your own, and then you're like at peace again, and then you have it happen again. So that's a great deal of trauma to have to deal with. Um, yeah. Did you, at the end of your mom's life, it, it sounds like you had so many special times together. Were you at peace with when she went and, are you, were you able to say everything you wanted to say to her? Yeah. I mean, that, that was sort of the, I don't want to say the beautiful part about somebody being bedridden, but you know, I I took the last sort of month off and sort of was with her, was at the house and yeah, you were able to talk to her and say, I love you you know, everything's going to be fine with us. You know, you're, you're okay to go. You know, I don't know how much she was processing at that point in time, but, you know, we tried to just give her permission to just tell her we're going to be okay. Yeah. It's safe to, it's safe to leave and be like, I don't know how spiritual you are, but I am. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm even crying. (laughs) I do this all the time. Um, did, do you believe in signs? I always have to ask that. Yeah, it's funny. My sisters and I, we do, we see, so my mom, we always called it like her midlife crisis car. She had a Jeep Wrangler, which was like taxi yellow, like yellow taxi cab color and I had when she would drive that around. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was so so she had yeah yeah and she loved it and yeah so my sisters and I every time we see a yellow jeep we'll call each other and be like oh I saw a yellow jeep today and you know in this past year you know with COVID and I've had personal stuff that's been pretty hard to deal with in life, you know, at certain increments when I've been at a tough impasse, I see a yellow Jeep and it just makes me think of my mom. Like I was moving back to my neighborhood after being away for a job for like six months. And the day I arrived here, there was a yellow Jeep parked out in front of my apartment. I'm like, okay, this is a sign. I I should be here. Cause there's not that, (laughs) there's not that many yellow Jeeps. No, there's not. I don't think I ever 
I mean, I know I've seen them, but it's not like a car that you would see all the time. That's a sign. That no. is a hundred percent a yeah. sign. Wow. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. And my sisters, they, they, they see them too all the time in random, in random places. So it's kind yeah, of like, it's kind of like punch, bu- punch buggy yellow, but it's remember that game totally. when we were kids and you would see yeah. a, a Volkswagen bug and you'd be like punch buggy yellow and you would punch, punch <laughs> yes. your sibling. That's the same, but it's a G. Yes. So it's really kind of rare. So that's got to be a sign yeah. that she's with you. Um, so, yeah. so moving on into like, I know you we've got, we've been through COVID. It's been a hard year. You're, you're doing good, like knock on wood health wise, continued prayers for that. What I want to know what you're doing now with kind of like, uh, remembering your mom. So you're doing this short film called bridge. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So bridge, the inspiration came when I was putting my mom's burial outfit together. And, you know, I thought it would be interesting to explore the notion of the quiet moments people go through in preparation for burial. Um, And, you know, I wrote the scripts probably, you know, just in note form a couple weeks after her passing, when I came back to New York and then over the last couple of years, I've gotten, you know, more friends involved and writers and we've shaped the story to basically be about a 15 year old who is dealing with her mother's passing and her one last final act of love for her mother and part being part of the funeral preparation is, is putting her mother's burial outfit together. Um, and so that's, that's sort of what I'm working on at the moment. It's named Bridge because the character's name is Bridget. Um, but I didn't realize until a few weeks ago, I'm like, oh, my mom's last documentary was named Bridge Apart. So there's, Hello, there's certain correlations. Hello, signs. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so that's what I'm, I'm working on at the moment. We are just finished casting. So I have found my bridge uh, or Bridget. And yeah, my producer who's in London, um, we're eventually going to begin a Kickstarter campaign or it's a Kickstarter-esque campaign on a site called Seed and Spark. Um, and we're raising production funds, you know, to, to sort of bring this story to life. Um, so that's sort of what we're working on right now. And yeah, so it's basically an homage to my mom. Which, which is such a, it's so cool when you when we because you and I have been like talking with each other, trying to schedule a date now for a while. And yeah. um, and I just I love hearing this story. I just think it's amazing. And I love the tribute. I love how beautiful it is to hear how close you were to your mom. Um, yeah. You know, like I say it all the time that life is it's so short. It goes so fast. You know, I'm a mom myself. I see my little, my oldest is 11. Sometimes I look at her as she's talking back and saying no, because she's a tween and everything's like, (laughs) she's like, mom, I'm going through puberty. Like everything's hormonal right now. But um, I just think about how I just, I dream of, of being here for them, you know, because as a parent, um, I kind of dealt with last year, just being afraid that I would end up like my dad and leaving them. And just cause I was going through my own stuff and I've kind of t- talked yeah. about it, but it's just such a gift to have the mother and daughter relationship and the love that a mother and a daughter have. It, it's, I, I just love hearing your story. So I'm so grateful that you came on my show and you shared your story if somebody wants to get involved um, and um, and raise funds or follow you on social media or your website, do you mind sharing that information with my audience? And then we're also going to put it on my show notes and my website for my audience oh, to fantastic. find. Yeah, um, I just finished building the site. So it's a uh, bridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's um, it's bridgeshortfilm.com. Um, and yeah, just you know, the more that we can sort of spread awareness. It's also a film that we're trying to also highlight childhood grief. Um, 
So there's sort of a an underlying mission towards it. If I were a few years younger, I think I could have played bridge because I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Everything great. Um, no, I mean I think that's uh, I taught I we discuss this a lot. Um, childhood trauma loss. Yeah. Um, I, I have a guest coming up on my next show, and we talk about aces. Um, which is an adverse uh, childhood. What is it? What's the E? I'm blanking on what the E is. I should know that. But um, all all of this kind of messaging is so important because people don't understand what it's like to go through loss at that age and your brain isn't fully developed and you're kind of like living in this like weird cloud almost where you're like, why did, why is this happening? And then for you personally, that was such trauma just dealing with your mom. You know, I, I just I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. And um, I'm just so grateful that you came on my show. And please tell your dad hi from me. Cause, I will. Cause I, I, just, will. I love him and your sis and your sisters and brother. Um, but absolutely. Um, in closing, I just wanted to mention a few things. So you guys, I have a new website, judgingmegan.com. Danny, who works with me, uh, made my website. I love it. If you are listening to my show and you have any interest in, um, you know, donating like money because you love my show and you want me to be able to continue to produce it and put this together. I have a buy me a Chardonnay click, click me tab on my show right now. So you can buy me a Chardonnay because you know, I love a buttery Chardonnay. So I'm going to say that. (laughs) Also, if you like my show, please uh, click and subscribe on Apple And if you are so inclined, please leave me a review and I would love you for it. It makes it easier for other people to find me. So in closing, thank you so much, Christina. I love seeing your beautiful, big smile. You look just like your mom. Um, I'm sure she's shining down. So proud of you. Like what an incredible like incredible woman you are. You make me kind of feel like about myself because you've done so much but no you're also doing so many good things with the world so thank you for that so in closing keep living keep praying and keep growing our family has grown welcome to the world hannah baby introducing a new collection hannah soft made with tencel It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.